Hello, my name is Mari Gerard and I'm the Managing Editor for Custom Content at Sightline. Today I am joined by Advanced Clinicals Cheryl Evans, Senior Vice President of Global Clinical and Biometric Operations, and Caroline Redeker, Senior Vice President for Corporate Development, to discuss the topic of operationalizing decentralized clinical trials. Decentralized clinical trials were heavily utilized during the COVID-19 pandemic when social distancing and global travel restrictions heavily limited in-person studies. Today, we're going to consider how these models can apply now in a post-COVID world. So firstly, what benefits of decentralized clinical trials have persisted following the pandemic? Caroline, can I come to you on this one first? Sure. I, I think um, the pandemic really fueled our industry to change thinking, which has been really wonderful, bringing solutions right to the patients and opening up for diverse populations that may have not participated in the past. And so when we were in the pandemic, we did it out of need to keep the trials going. But I think all the regulatory agencies globally actually saw benefits in bringing the trials directly to the patients. And so we've really seen that in opening trials up, recruiting more types of patients, making it easier for patients to participate in clinical trials. You know, there are a lot of different ways that we can bring things to patients directly. There's been direct-to-patient shipments and home visits and electronic means to participate versus having to go into a site every time. And so it's really benefited the industry as a whole out of the pandemic, which was very unexpected. And yet we've had such a benefit coming out of it moving forward. I don't know, Cheryl, if you have anything you'd like to add. Yeah, I would. Thank you so much, Caroline. I think the other piece that's really um, the secondary gain is that regulatory agencies have really now embraced how we are going to embed decentralized trials into clinical research. And so we are seeing global regulatory agencies coming out with draft guidances, surveying the industry on how this should be done, how we're going to look at it, how we will incorporate this, and then take a look at that data. So that that's a huge win and a huge secondary gain from the pandemic as well. Fantastic. And clearly there have been a lot of benefits there. But on the flip side of that, I think it's important to consider some of the challenges that sponsors should be aware of when implementing these decentralized models for their studies. Cheryl, I don't know if there's any specific challenges you can think of. Yeah, we are only a hundred of them, I'm sure, and more. <laughs> um, uh, Caroline and I talk about this a lot with uh, with our teams. You know, certainly at the executive level, decentralized trials is is very exciting. We're we're all about it. We want to make it happen, and theoretically on paper, it's fantastic. At the operational level, at the project team level, where you really get into uh, the nitty gritty of putting a program like this together and really thinking very prospectively using risk-based quality management as you're developing your protocols, incorporating decentralized trials into critical to quality variables, as well as a quality tolerance limits. Uh, what is that looking like? It, it can be uh, much more complicated. So really educating our teams on the various providers, what they actually do, um, how you can integrate various providers together or integrate them with an EDC system. Many EDC systems are coming with um, decentralized trial options. And then outside of EDC, just using home health care providers that are going directly to patients' homes. What is that chain of custody? 
What is the responsibility of the investigator? How are you supporting that investigator? There really are quite a lot of considerations that the project teams need to make. And Caroline, I probably speak to some of the organizations that are really devoting themselves to sorting this all out. Yeah, before I get into that, just jump on something Cheryl was talking about around the investigators, because I've spent a lot of time with ACRP and with investigative sites of all types, really diving into trials. What kind of requirements is that putting on the site? And there's a lot of confusion around some of the guidances coming out and the responsibility of the investigator. And I think that people really need to be looking at if you're changing the way that a site is conducting trials and interacting with the patients, and now you're introducing other agencies going into the home and you're introducing new technologies that study coordinators have to explain to patients. This puts a burden on the site that wasn't there and a shift in mindset around training and knowledge and even regulations. How goes on a delegation log? What is the responsibility level of that site? And does the normal site budgeting cover all these extra activities that has to happen at the site level? So I think this is a big thing that the industry will be tackling together as we we make these changes is roles and responsibilities at the site level as well as with new providers. Um, Cheryl mentioned organizations, um, DTRA, the Decentralized Trial and Research Alliance, DTRA is very heavily involved in helping with what are the barriers to doing decentralized trials and what are some of the best practices that companies can look at as they run decentralized trials. And so if you're looking to find that kind of information, it's a great organization to look to moving forward. But I think in general, you can't change the whole way a study is done and not have challenges that you're going to need to work through, mainly on roles and responsibilities responsibilities and who's in charge of which things. It's been sort of the same for 30 years <laughs> and, you know, little advances, but now it's really changing the way we're looking at this. Yeah, I was just going to say other, you know, other challenges are really anticipating the impact to timelines and to setting up these various decentralized trial aspects to a program. What is that really doing to the timeline? And do, do you have all the right information so that you don't have surprises as you're moving through study startup and into enrollment and, and even study close? Perfect. And we are going to discuss in a bit more detail later how trial management changes with the introduction of some of these decentralised components. But firstly, just wanted to consider how the approaches to decentralisation and trial protocols may differ depending on the individual trial and sponsor. For example, are there different decentralised solutions that might be utilised in one circumstance and others that are more appropriate in other circumstances? Maybe, Caroline, I can come to you first on this one. Sure. The answer is yes. <laughs> it would definitely differ depending on the individual trial and the sponsor, but I think Probably the most important is to be looking at this while you're thinking about the protocol, right? Because the way that protocols are being written now, if you're going to offer optionality for the patients, can they decide if they're going to the site or they want to do something remote? 
those kind of decisions need to be made as you're writing the protocol. And I think when you look at certain indications or what type of populations that you're targeting for clinical trials that may drive what type of components that you include. So if you're going into a population that tends to not want to go into the site in order to participate, that's going to drive how you write that protocol and and what kind of options you give the patients. And then certainly therapeutically, if there are things that make sense, can do direct patient shipment directly to their home for certain wearables that you might be using or certain information you're trying to collect, or it may make sense to send a home health provider into the home for certain components. So it absolutely does. But I think the most important part is is really figuring that out up front. And Cheryl, what's your take on this? In addition to that, and we've talked about this so much, is really considering the patient burden. And I think you, you know, you were going there and also the caregiver and the burden on the caregiver. So anything you can do to lessen that and really make those journeys more, you know, amicable and easier for the patient, the better. Also, we've been hearing and seeing where patients can choose various types of um, decentralized trial aspects that they might like to use, kind of choose what you like. You like to come in for the visit. You don't want to come in for the visit. You want a remote visit. Those kinds of things can be written into protocols as well. And I do think there's this wonderful merging now of the risk assessment and really setting up the study, as you said, really making all of these considerations very early on with a multidisciplinary group so that you're talking to people not only in you know, medical monitoring or medical writing and your, sci- your medical scientists, but you've considered operational people and um, clinical supply management and those kinds of logistics that um, will really make the study go smoothly. And then going back to the management of trials overall, I know it was mentioned different roles and responsibilities earlier. How has managing trials changed with the introduction of some of these decentralised components? And Cheryl, maybe I'll come back to you to kickstart that. Well, you know, Caroline kind of said it, you know, there are many aspects to clinical trials that remain, they're imperial, they're, they're written in, they're kind of written in stone, so to speak, and we all know what those are. But I do think that we are relying much more on technology and business intelligence tools to do deeper, uh, more comprehensive feasibilities. So I think that aspect of really pinpointing the patient population, their location, the makeup of that population is really much more deeply looked at. I mean, we can certainly say that from our own organization. I think other pieces are that the project teams themselves are becoming much more adept at understanding chain of custody, technology, even analytics and reading and understanding deeper the analytics. So you're seeing a merging of the roles between perhaps CRAs and clinical trial managers and lead data managers, how that role is changing because really the data is telling us everything and the data is driving much of the decision making that we're doing. And that's huge. These are paradigm shifts that we are beginning to see in an industry that's been pretty, pretty static for, for a lot of years. And we're really excited about that piece. Caroline, anything to add? Yeah, I think there's excitement and 
there's little confusion. And so (laughs) I think as I talk to mainly study sites, but also there are new providers in our industry coming in or old providers doing things they haven't done before. And so, you know, things that used to be really clear for people. You read a regulation, you understand it. Everybody kind of knows what they're supposed to be doing. I think now it's a lot more gray. It's gray on what the new providers are doing compared to the EDC system, compared to the CRO that's managing it. And the details of the roles and responsibilities are very important because you can miss steps or you can have big gaps assuming somebody else is doing it. And I think managing from a site perspective, if they've not used electronic informed consent, if they don't know how to log into a particular provider system and how to explain to the patients, you know, and this is a global issue, right? So as we go out to sites, we try to give them tools, toolkits, you know, this is what you need to think about. This is why it will work. This is a sheet that you walk through with the patient so they understand what happens in a BYOD and what system they have to have on their phone to be able to do that or whatever the criteria are. They're just new aspects to managing the trials that weren't there in the past. I was just going to add that that complexity has really deepened. Absolutely. The programs that we're seeing have many providers and vendors, various types of decentralized trial components, and that piece really adds to the complexity for sure. Yeah, clearly a lot to consider there, but benefits to be reaped if done successfully. And on that note, just before we finish the conversation today, I'd love to hear a bit about your predictions for the future uptake of decentralized clinical trials. Yeah, you know, I would say that the patient has become a priority in a way that it was maybe just assumed before. And so now there's patient voice in our industry. There was a an organization that had a, a room of patients at the ASCO meeting this year for people to talk to. You know, the, there's not been this direct patient interaction like there is today. And so I don't see this going away. This is here to stay. I think the question will be, how will we embrace it as an industry and what will need to change? And is there clarity for people? You know, those are the kind of things we'll need to work on to make sure that the trials still meet their timelines and have integrity and the data is collected in a way that it has integrity. And so we're just making sure that this new way sets everybody up for success and offers something new for the patient. It offers an opportunity for people who would not participate to start participating in clinical trials. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree, Caroline. I think it is absolutely here to stay. I do think we'll get smarter and faster and um, streamline it deeper. I do think another aspect of this is that the patients and people that are seeking clinical trials really did learn a lot about clinical research um, in recent years. And that's also helping that we have um, in many parts of of the world, we do have populations that understand and and are really seeking out clinical research. So that's a huge benefit as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Cheryl and Caroline, for taking the time to have this conversation today. It's been really fantastic to get your thoughts on what is a very interesting and important topic. Thank you also to our sponsor, Advanced Clinical, for making the whole discussion possible. And to our listeners, we hope you found the conversation insightful and thank you for tuning in.